So what's great is that a lot of sponsors or a lot of syndicators have come out and they've recognized that this is like where the industry is moving. And they have come out with multiple share classes to account for this. A company, Techfester, they came out and they had 10 different share classes based on different check sizes. So if I'm going to bring them $5 million, I get to keep 90% of the profits at the end of the deal. Someone who brings them a million dollars will get less. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today has his bachelor's in business from University of Southern California in 2018. He started off as an associate and then manager at Health Peak Properties, an S&P 500 REIT. He underwrote a wide range of senior housing and medical office real estate, played a key role in $4 billion worth of portfolio of deals. And you're going to hear him talk about some of those skills actually from that that he brings to multifamily and why that's been so important. But alongside that, in 2017, he co-founded Goldhawk Capital, an REI firm focused on value-add multifamily properties and short-term rentals across the U.S. Roughly 1,000 apartment units, 100 short-term rentals valued over $150 million through a combination of, of JV syndications, fund-to-funds, and LP investments. Now focused on buying hundreds of high cash-flowing Airbnbs across the United States and paying professional manage, management for the day-to-day, of course. But he serves as a civil affairs officer in the United States Army Reserve, was previously a military intelligence officer as well. And you're going to hear some fun facts about him today, but his name is Elijah Brown. We're going to talk about some cash flow modeling, which is his superpower. You're going to hear us talk about the fund-to-fund model in depth, why he went that route. And you're going to hear me talk about why we're using that model as as well. But then also on the, another show, you're going to hear a number of tactics for raising capital that have that have helped him be very successful. So I encourage you to stick around, listen, and get to know Elijah today during this interview, and then stick around for tomorrow's episode as well. Elijah, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. The more I learned about you this morning, I'm interested in, in your story. I know there's many that are, are going to learn a lot from you today, but you bring from what I learned, you, you bring you bring a lot of knowledge in the cash flow modeling, but also something that you and I talked about a little bit was a fun fact. Actually, my team highlighted, and then you even mentioned it, that you all travel full time, but you still operate, you know, a great business while being able to travel like that. And so I, I'm looking forward to hearing some of those hacks. We like to travel as well, but maybe not as much as you do. But we, I still love hearing things like that, how we, and I, th- I think we can learn a lot, probably even if we don't travel about how to be as efficient as possible, because <laughs> yeah, that's probably something you've had to do a lot and focus on. So I want to dive in there in a moment or into a few things, but also, man, who's Elijah? Give the listeners a little more about your background and let's, let's dive into real estate and financial mo- modeling and some of those things. Whitney, thank you so much for having me on the show. I actually saw you at the best ever conference. I don't think we had a chance to really have a conversation, but I, I'm definitely grateful to be invited on to speak with you and your and your audience. So really thank you for that. I got started in real estate about seven years ago, just in the single family world. I was still in college and I convinced my best friend and my cousin to go in with me on a single family house. We put a tenant in and we, we loved that process despite its many setbacks and hurdles that we had to overcome. And we did that uh, four more times before then jumping into a small multifamily building. And then I got, ended up getting a job at a real estate fund right out of college. 
And through what I learned at that, at that company, as well as partnering with some of my coworkers, we were able to go after some smaller and mid-sized multifamily buildings while I was there. I then discovered the concept of partnering and co-GP and essentially working with much larger companies to take down bigger deals together by focusing on what I was good at and the skills that I could bring to their deals. And so through those opportunities, I was able to scale my portfolio and my GP position significantly to now where I have almost an interest in almost a thousand units of multifamily and then also about a hundred Airbnbs as well. And since then, as you mentioned, I, my girlfriend and I, we bought a Mercedes Sprinter van and we renovated it over a two-year period. And now we are traveling full-time. And as you can imagine, my business model had to change quite a bit. I was no longer able to actively manage operations within the deal. And so my business model has since switched over to more of a fund of funds and investor relations type of role where now I am uh, really focused on working with great sponsors and raising capital for, for their deals. And so that's what I'm up to now and uh, definitely looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. I think it's, it's interesting that you can do all that from the road and a thousand units and the, the hundred Airbnbs. Is that, you're all single family portfolio? Uh, what is that? Or is that something you- Those made? are all single family. So I, I actually partnered up with a company called TechVestor and I put together my own pool of capital for investing in that deal with TechVestor. Okay. Okay. So that was still a, say, a fund to fund where you helped raise That's capital. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And in how you have, you're, you're willing to transition to make this work, right? And really transition. It sounded like what you were doing, what you were focused on in the business. So now though, now that you're doing this, I wanted to highlight that you, and you mentioned that your superpower was, was cash flow modeling, right? And you learned a lot of that from say the corporate world that you were able to bring to multifamily right now. I think it's a, it's a, it's a skill that's probably very valuable. <laughs> it was never, Absolutely. it was never a skill that I had before multifamily or getting into this kind of business, but it's still probably will never be to the scale or level that somebody like Real say you have, I've had to bring those skills on the team, right? And so we can dive in deeper. But but I think it's a very valuable skill set. I would love for you to just highlight a couple of things about that skill and how that's helped you. And maybe oh, some sure. things that like that like myself or the past investor listening could implement to do that better or some things to focus on. And then we'll move on to a few other things. Sure. So at at the core of it, the whole point of the cash flow modeling is so that you as the investor can understand every single inflow and outflow of the deal. You can't really do this with stocks. They try. I, I was an intern at a hedge fund once trying to, to pick securities to invest in. There are just thousands of variables and you, you can model them out. But with real estate, there's, there's not that many, maybe bet between 20 and 50 variables in your underwriting. And only like 10 of them are, are significant in terms of need, big needle movers. And so I, when I invest in a deal, I want to know when I'm sending my dollars out, like exactly what they're doing, how they're flowing through the property, where they're be, being invested, and then how I'm getting them back and when I'm getting them back and what rates of return and, and the metrics like that. And so the, the only way to really do that and to understand exactly what's happening within the deal is to put it in Excel. You, you figure out what all of your inputs are and you make a best guess. And it's, it's 
never accurate after the first six months of the deal. Once you underwrite, everything changes, but it is, it is a best guess. It's a plan. It's a way to rationalize investments for other people if you're bringing capital in. But for me, it's, it's how I figure out where to place my capital. If I do an underwriting and a cash flow model, and I figure out that I can earn a 15% rate of return on my money, well, I'm not going to go put it in that 8% deal that I saw yesterday. So it's a way for me to figure out where to put my money. And then also it serves as a business plan for that investment as well. Um, and so that those are just the high level things of it. I think anyone who's investing in a deal, especially the, the LPs who really don't have control over, over the properties that they're investing in, I think it's important that they understand at least how the modeling works and they, they get some eyes on a, on a forecast on some type of pro forma for the property. A lot of people are just investing deals, blindly trusting the, the sponsor, the syndicator, when they should really be understanding how the money flows in and out of that deal, because that, that is the taking responsibility for your investing. And it's extremely important. Yeah, no doubt about it. it I, it made me think about even, uh, whether we think about personal finances or, or the business or each property individually from one end of your finances to the other, you have to know where the dollars are going, right? Where they're coming in. Like, I like how simple you made that. It's like the inflow, the outflow. Do you, do you know what's happening ultimately and tracking those things? And, and you said, you know, what, 20 to 50 variables and probably only 10 that are like major needle movers. And so it, I think too, when we can like narrow it down or simplify it more like that, the, the more consistent, more accurate we can be as well, right? And the more times we do it. Absolutely. So, no, I, I just wanted you to highlight that because I, I feel like sometimes it can be pretty overwhelming for somebody to come in and think, try to think through the cash modeling, right? The cash flow of a, of a large multifamily deal, but it, it doesn't have to be rocket science either, right? And also for, for those who like have no experience with it, it's not too hard to learn. Go on YouTube. There are a million different tutorials, literally just type in how to build a multifamily underwriting model or something. Watch the two-hour video. It's worth the time if you're going to be investing $50,000, $100,000 into something. Just do the work. I personally, when I got to my corporate job, my company made me take like a, a three-day online course. And that's, that's how I learned. But there are a lot of different ways to learn. You should understand the basics of it if you're really investing in anything. Yeah. Well, let's transition a little bit. I know you are operating... A fund, you operate fund to funds. And I have a number of questions about that because I get questions about that all the time. We've had a number of people partner with us to have their own fund, right? And they'll come in as a fund to fund and, and want to partner on deals that we're doing and whatnot. And, and there's a number of reasons we do it that way, right? Which we can chat about. But, but I want to know why, why did you go fund to fund? And let's dive in there a little bit. We'll make, we may talk sure. about that from the, let's say the operator's perspective and, and the limited partner perspective as well. But why did you go fund to fund? Yeah. And I do both. I do GP, which is like actually coming into the deal as, as one of the managers. And then I also do fund to funds, which for those who, who don't know, it's when I go and create a completely separate LLC away from the deal. And then I use the cash that I raised within that LLC to invest in the deal as a limited partner. And so that I, I do both strategies. So the reason why I went that capital raising route rather than just doing the operations is because simply my lifestyle changed. I had 10 full cycle deals that, that I got out of over the past few years. And that allowed me to execute on this vision of traveling the world in a, in a van full time. And I wasn't able to be around to manage managers and contractors and 
and do like, you know, boots on the ground type work. And so I, I needed to figure out what the best bang for the buck was in this, in what I was the best at and what I loved doing. And, and that was making relationships with investors, conducting due diligence on deals and sponsors and you know, underwriting deals. Not so much the asset management portion. I don't really enjoy asset management. And so I made my business focus on just that capital raising. And then that resulted in me just doing really co-GP and fund-of-funds opportunities. Now, I'll explain the reason why I would do fund-of-funds rather than co-GP is because of the legalities of it. So we have a lot of, a lot of syndicators who used to bring in 10, 15, even 20 co-managers into the deal. But those, most of those managers were only raising capital in exchange for fees. And the SEC considers that to be broker-dealering, which is which is illegal unless you have a proper license and you hang that license at a shop. And so to get around that law, they, the syndicators started saying, okay, instead, why don't you create your own fund completely separate, bring me cash as a limited partner, and then I'll cut you a deal on the pref, the preferred return, and the profit split at the end of the deal. So m most, most funds are doing, you, you get like an 8% preferred return, and then between an 8% and a 15% IRR, you'll get a 70-30 split. And then after that, they'll split it up 50-50. That's just a common waterfall structure that a lot of these syndicators do. Well, well, me as a fund of funds manager, I can raise two to $5 million within a separate LLC, approach the sponsor and say, I will take care of a huge problem for you, which is raising $5 million. I'm just going to write you one check for that. However, it's going to come with a string. And that string is, I want to keep 80 or 90% of the profits or whatever we end up negotiating as a separate share class. And so I'll rearrange these, I'll, I'll arrange these, these fund of fund deals. But at the end of the day, the people who invest in my fund of funds, as well as myself, because I'm putting my own capital in this first and foremost, um, we're getting a better rate of return at the end of the day than people who are going direct. It's almost like I've put together a, a negotiating club where I, I get all my friends and, and close investors together. We all pool our capital in one place, and then we use that large check size to negotiate terms with a syndicator. And that has worked out pretty well for us on a few deals. So. Nice. Speak to the relationship with the sponsor when you're, when you are, um, re yeah, the relationship with them, when you're negotiating that a little bit, right? I was thinking about you coming in with a, a larger return metric say than they have right i can see sure. pros and cons to that right for both sides yeah. of that uh, but i don't know just some thoughts there because i know there's questions around that it depends so what's great is that a lot of sponsors or a lot of syndicators have come out and and they've recognized that this is like where the industry is moving and they have come out with multiple share classes to account for this a company like like TechVestor, they came out and they had like 10 different share classes based on different check sizes so if i'm going to bring them five million dollars i get to keep 90 percent of the profits at the end of the deal someone who brings them a million dollars will get less the same thing with a sponsor like rise 48 but then there are other other deals where the sponsor has not created all these different share classes and i have to go in and actually negotiate and I'll say, hey, like I can write you a $3 million check, but here's going to be the terms. And it's the same way that you would negotiate with a family office or an institutional investor who wants to come into your deal and provide significant capital. There's going to be some type of strings attached to that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we've done that as well. Just for transparency to the listeners as well, we've done, we may have four 
four classes in a deal, but for exactly what you're talking about, right? And so, but not, let's say not just for, say, a fund to fund to come in with a larger check size, which that's part of it. Um, but another part is we have some large investors, right? And so they, we may have an investor come in at a million or, or two million, you're right, in a deal. And we expect them to get compensated a little better, right? Coming in with that Absolutely. kind of capital for the same reason we would want to do that with somebody like yourself that's coming in with a fund to fund. They're bringing, that's, that's quite a bit of value, right, to us to get, to be able to have that kind of chunk in one check, right? Uh, and so no doubt, uh, completely agree with that. And, and I would just, I would encourage the listener, obviously talk to their attorney. We're not attorneys, but it, it's like Elijah said, it is something it seems the industry shifting to is this fund to fund model, right? More so than the old co-sponsorship type model. We have just gone completely away from that. Just we we've, personally, we feel like there's some gray area there that we just don't want to operate in. Right? It's very gray. Well, yeah. I'm I'm curious, Whitney. What like what have you heard coming down from either the SEC or their their various investigations regarding this? Because I've heard they've been very very active in trying to discourage that type of co sponsor relationship. Yeah, and I think it was a matter. This is just my personal thoughts on some of this, but okay. I think obviously we all, if you've been in this industry very long at all. We all know that that model was, I would, I don't think it's a stretch to say heavily abused and, and where somebody has 20 co-sponsors, right? In a deal. And it's exactly what you said. They're not broker dealers, right? And so the, the thing is, well, compensation-based pay, and we won't go into all that right now. We've done a ton of shows on that over the last four or five years, a ton of shows with a lot of uh, attorneys as well who have elaborated on these types of agreements, right? Co-sponsorship versus fund to funds. But the, the matter is a compensation-based pay, right? How do we pay this person? Because we can't pay them based on the amount that they're raising. And so then technically you're paying them based on the value, right? That they're bringing, whether that's helping underwrite the deal or do due diligence or whatever it may be. What gets hard to prove is if you have 20 co quote co-sponsors, right? In a deal, well, were all 20 of them really doing something that could that they could be paid so that when the sec came in what it's been two or three years ago now and and i i don't think a, a ton came from that other than just scaring some people to death yeah. and, and maybe slapping some hands Thank, thankfully that's that's kind of the biggest thing i think that happened but it it did transition everybody's thinking on this kind of model right right uh, and so it pushed a lot of the industry into saying you know what we're only going to do fund to fund because it's too gray right because now now it's just not great we just have that kind of model it does make it more expensive however for somebody you know like yourself or for somebody like getting started right that was the biggest thing then it's like somebody come in with a hundred thousand dollars as a co-sponsor and all of a sudden they got a 200 units te technically right on their website that they're under management but but now they're going to have to come out with, let's say, 20 grand or whatever it may be to start their own fund to make that happen. So so maybe you could speak to as well, yeah. getting that started, right? Getting your fund started. Was the expense worth it? Do you feel the get it, operating out of the gray is worth it to go to that? Or are you comfortable with co-sponsorship type model? It, it depends. I'm comfortable with the co-sponsoring co if I'm adding some type of material value other than capital raising. Otherwise, yeah. it's, it's, it's too gray. I'm comfortable with the fund-to-funds model. And sometimes it's more profitable for me to do the fund-to-funds model. Getting, getting a much bigger upside because I've negotiated better profit split at the end, that's very attractive to me. From day one, I've always been more interested in the back the, the backside, the promote, than I have been in the acquisition fees. And so it's, it just, it just depends in terms of getting started. Um, some sponsors have made it so easy 
that like they already have like the legal team in place and the whole back office thing ready for supporting fund to fund managers where they say hey, you're just going to it's going to be $5,000 and we'll give you everything you need the legal documents the portal we'll manage the portal and the distributions for you our accounting team will manage everything for you you literally don't have to do anything except for sending emails to your investors and calling investors that's that's just a few of the sponsors. The other ones, you have to go out and produce your own private placement memorandum, operating agreement. You have to form an entity and you have to do your own back office and stuff. It's actually not that expensive. I think pricing on these types of opportunities has come down and it, it depends how large the deal is and if it's 506C or B, um, the fees can vary. But I, I found it's anywhere between five dollars and $10,000 to to set it up. And once you have done it once in with one set of standard legal documents for a similar deal in three months from now, like why not just repurpose those same documents and then have your attorney review them? And that might only cost you one or two thousand dollars rather than the the five to ten. So it's uh, there is a little bit of investment up front, but that keeps you out of prison. And sometimes it can make you better fees as well. Yeah, no, that's helpful as a because. Yeah, you can be quoted 20, 30 grand, right, yeah. to, to start that own fund. And so I would just, I would encourage you to look around. The cheapest doesn't always mean it's sufficient either, but but it doesn't have to be 30 grand either. The other thing, Whitney, is that right now my model is doing single uh, single funds for single deals. I would love to be at a point where I can just raise a couple hundred million dollars and discretionarily invest that capital into opportunities, have an, have an open fund. But right right now, it's just it's just single single LLC for single single deal. And the fees are a bit lower. If I wanted to do a structure where I just raise a ton more money, it would cost a lot more upfront, maybe thirty dollars to $50,000 for that. However, I wouldn't have to do that every single time I want to get into a deal. And so it's kind of a trade-off. I think for people looking to get started in this who have some connections to capital, friends, family, coworkers, whatever, it, $5,000 is not much to get started. It's totally worth it. Do it. Um, you can make 5,000 in your, in your first check from the acquisition fee. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I, I was going to ask you what type of fund or whether it was single asset or multi-asset. Sure. So appreciate you elaborating there. I just think it's helpful for guys getting started right now and gals, but trying to make it happen and don't know what to expect and should they do fund to fund and and so it's helpful to think through the sponsors as well. Maybe speak to why you picked the first sponsor or two to partner with. Sure. So interesting. So it was like a couple of years ago and I was uh, actually just like found this group on bigger pockets and I'm actually not going to mention the name of the group because we we ended up parting ways for for a number of different reasons but I found them on bigger pockets I reached out they had a gap in their in their funding they had raised a, a certain amount of money it was like two two million dollars or so and they needed another half a million dollars to close on the deal and um I said hey and this is before I knew anything about fund of funds or anything like that I said hey I've got a I've got a buddy an investor who has got significant capital and is, would be willing to help you close on this deal, but we're going to want, we're going to want a piece of the GP. We're going to want, you know, be, better terms on the deal. And they agreed to it. And that was my first kind of foray into, into fund of funds really. And then as my business model formally switched over from actively GPing deals and being lead GP over to just the capital raising and investor relations, I started getting more formal with the fund of funds process where I would 
actually uh, go and like like look at multiple opportunities available, multiple sponsors. Like I'll take a look at a Rise 48, a Lone Star Capital and a Sterling Rhino Capital deal all at the same time. Choose which one I want to work with. Go through an extensive due diligence process, interviewing the sponsor and evaluating the deal, polling my investor network to figure out what types of opportunities they would want to see. And then I would actually set up the uh, like the legal framework for that and then start a formal raise through my email marketing system. So it's definitely become a lot more, I guess, corporate, but like organized. It's become a lot more organized since that first deal that I did. Yeah, no doubt about it. And unfortunately, we're about out of time on this first segment. I'd love to do another segment with you in just a moment. But and, and we're going to dive into a few other things that I know you are skilled in and can help the listeners with any, any other, say, last do's or don'ts that you've learned that you would leave the listener with as far as the, the fund-to-fund model? Yeah, I'd say definitely make sure you do your, your research on the deal. The, the reality is that as the fund-to-funds manager, you have a relatively limited amount of control in the actual deal. And so you really need to be able to trust that sponsor um, because now you're trusting someone else with your investors' money. It's not just you're trusting yourself. And so uh, make sure the deal is solid. Review the underwriting. Actually ask for the underwriting model. This comes back to understanding cash flow modeling and then have a great relationship with the sponsor so that you can get questions answered and know that your, your money is safe. Elijah, I'm grateful for your time. I want the listener to know that you're going to hear Elijah again tomorrow. and We're going to dive into a couple other things that I know he is very skilled in, including some of the operating business like this while traveling. But there's some other specific things that I know is going to be helpful, whether you're active or pass in this space. Uh, Elijah's going to be able to help you tomorrow. Elijah, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of educational real estate stuff there. It's linkedin.com slash in slash Elijah W. Brown. Hopefully we can put that link somewhere. And please just re- reach out, connect with me there. And all of the links to download my free products are on my profile there. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 